emotion the juice of life introduction they say elephants can grieve and dogs can laugh but it is only a human being who is capable of the entire spectrum of emotional response depression malice bliss ecstasy and the many shades in between are un uniquely human emotion the juice of life by satguru introduction they say elephants can grieve and dogs can laugh but it is only a human being who is capable of the entire spectrum of emotional response depression malice bliss ecstasy and the many shades in between are un are uniquely human we are creatures of emotion whether we know it or not most of us are defined by our joys and sorrows our love and hate our lives can take a complete u turn pivoting on just one moment of intense happiness or distress to be human is to be associated with emotions and just as well because emotions are after all the juice of life it's not just poetic license that allows us to refer to emotions as juicy in a literal sense also emotions are a chemical cocktail that courses through our bodies triggering responses and reactions the sweet warm glow of new found love the euphoria of intense joy and the thrill of elation are an intoxicating mix of chemical stimuli but while we have no problems with pleasant emotions unpleasant emotions are the source of much angst in our lives emotions are like fear and anger release potential chemical brew in our bodies dominating our thought process and crippling our judgment unfortunately these emotions seem to be their own masters and their chemical salvers certainly seem to follow someone someone else's order it does not take much to set them off just one wrong word word locks us into an endless cycle of unpleasantness our emotions are capable of leaving us stranded stranded in the depth of human experience but they could also take us to the very heights unfortunately only a minuscule portion of humanity experiences their emotion as a stepping stone for everyone else emotions at best bring a little pleasantness and at worst leave them with her the question is are we using our emotions to entangle ourselves or to liberate ourselves turning our emotions into a creative and enriching force is a subject of this book satguru looks at the gamut of human emotions as he answers various questions posed to him despair joy bliss greed compassion and love find their place here as he explores the possibilities and pitfalls that each emotion represent even profound grief or anger could be turned into a productive force he explains if only we make the choice to respond with compassion this book turns many conventional belief on their heads such as when satguru tells us that peace of mind is the a of life not the z of life it is the very beginning he delves into the chemistry of peace and the reason why most people believe peace of mind is the ultimate aim as the book progresses it enters the realm of the mystic detailing how emotion take taken to its ultimate pinch becomes a possibility for liberation Sadguru narrates some extraordinary stories of a few devotees whose intensity of emotion crossed the boundaries of logic and understanding. 
perhaps the essence of this book is captured best in Sadhguru's words within you you have experienced peace and turmoil joy and misery ecstasy and agony so you are capable of all these things but right now you are conducting this whole experience and chemistry unconsciously you can also conduct it consciously that is what the whole effort of all spiritual processes is of madness and beauty emotion is just the juicier part of the thought the modern societies have done a lot to develop the intellect emotion is still the most intense experience for most people their body their intellect and their energies are not so intense but their emotions whether anger hatred love compassion or something else are experientially the most intense thought and emotion are not really different thought is dry and logical emotion is also rooted in the same logic but it pretends to be not logical to add juice to our life it is just the juicier part of the thought otherwise your life would be dry and not worth living emotion is the deception of nature that encourages you to live because if you go 100% logically at, at your life you would have no reason to live you would then come to the question to be or not to be such questions have come because we have given ourselves too much to logic we have not given ourselves to the experience of life emotion transcends the limitation of simple logic and functions in such a way that it allows you to live it gives you a reason to go on so thought is dry and emotion has some juice in it but they are not different i don't know why there there is so much philosophy about putting the mind and heart together they are anyway together they are not separate suppose there is a particular person that you think is wonderful you would have some sweet emotions towards that person if you think someone else is a terrible person you would have unpleasant emotions towards that person you cannot think this is a horrible person and have sweet emotions and neither you can think this is a wonderful person and have pleasant unpleasant emotions people talk about the conflict between their head and their heart but there is actually no conflict it is just that emotion have a certain drag time they have their own momentum let's say you always thought of someone as a wonderful person you would have built up so much of emotion but if that person does something that you do not appreciate suddenly your logical mind starts saying this is a horrible person but emotion has a drag time it cannot switch immediately it has momentum and has to run its course the mind is clearly telling you that you should have nothing to do with this person but the emotion is still running its course because it is the last carriage of the train thought is the engine it has passed but the last carriage takes some time so the emotional you is also the thinking you the way you think is the way you feel emotions can be a very powerful force of movement if one knows how to gather them and at the same time be fluid with them when necessary if one is incapable of gathering his emotion when needed then emotions are just pure madness once you are overtaken by your emotions you do not see anything the way it is everything gets distorted <clears throat> Once a woman who had just lost her husband was seen fanning his grave, a fresh mound of earth. People who were passing by saw this and were so touched. How dedicated she is to her dead husband. 
they came to her and said we know you lost we know you lost your husband your dedication moves us to tears but please it is all right he is dead the widow said no i promised my husband that i will not remarry till the grave is dry so if you are just emotion you can be a lot of deception emotions have their beauty they are the juice of life at the same time if you go if you get too soaked in this juice you will lose all your sense gautama the buddha went to the extent of saying that a dry soul is the wisest soul he is correct if emotions overpower you they are nothing short of madness at the same time if you have sufficient control over your emotions that you can go into it and come out of it by choice it is a wonderful dimension you must go beyond the limitation which is holding you right now questioner emotions seem to be more trouble than they are worth aren't we better off without them sadguru if there is no emotion at all in a human being you cannot call him human emotion is a beautiful aspect of human life without which a human being would become ugly but as with anything if emotion becomes unbridled it becomes madness if your thought becomes uncontrolled it will become madness if your emotion become uncontrolled that to becomes insanity people see emotion as a problem because they have painful emotions if they had beautiful emotions within them would they call them a problem if you were full of joy love and compassion within yourself if that is how your emotion was taking shape and finding expression would you consider it a problem no if your body was functioning very well and beautifully would you call this a problem no if it is painful or diseased then sitting standing and bending in the morning is really painful so you would think this body is a problem similarly you may say you want no emotion simply because you have made a mess out of it if you have truly beautiful emotions within you which made your life like a flower you would not think of not having emotions i'm not telling you to leave your emotions or go beyond them all i'm saying is whether it is your body your mind your emotion or your energies the four dimensions which could be in your experience right now the first and foremost thing is to make make them very pleasant once they are very pleasant they are no longer a problem only when the emotions are no longer a problem when people are not aspiring for anything else and are very joyful does the longing to go beyond arise <clears throat> otherwise all you are trying to do is survive even if you are calling for god it is only a call for survival isn't it when you fail to survive here you are thinking about making it in heaven if you could not make it here what is the guarantee that you will make it there Basavna a celebrated sage and a great poet from Karnataka said Inni salladavaru alayyu salladraya which means those who do not make it here will not make it there either so this is not about going beyond emotion you must go beyond but beyond does not mean beyond emotion or mind or this or that you must go beyond the limitation which is holding you right now emotion and thought can also become a matter and a tool to pave the way for you if you use your mind to transcend your limitations we call this gnana yoga if you use your emotion to transcend limitation we call this bhakti yoga if you use your body to transcend limitations we call this karma yoga if you use your energies to transcend limitations we call this kriya yoga every one of them is gateway a gateway can either block you or let you beyond so your emotions are not be shunned and rejected to go beyond you cannot shun them 
If you try to become devoid of emotion, you will have suppressed emotions and you will become dry. Your emotions need to be accepted in a very deep way so that it becomes your friend. A friend is somebody who is present to you. Chapter 2 Paying attention to the root Whatever you do, you want to experience life in a bigger way than you are experiencing it right now. Questioner Many masterpieces of art depict pain and sadness. I had a conversation with somebody who said he wanted to delve into his misery and pain because it was only then that he could come up with his deepest emotion. Is there a joy in intense misery also? If you hear some of these melancholic songs, for instance, you feel very sad, but also in some way you are enjoying the song. Sadhguru what they are enjoying is not their misery. Unfortunately, for most human beings on the planet, the deepest experience in their life is pain. There is no depth to their joy, love or peace. It is all on the surface and so fragile. Their pain, however, is enduring and deep. Somewhere, every human being wants to know life in a deeper way than he knows it right now. Our spiritual seeker is consciously looking for it, but actually every human being is looking for it. This is why people take to alcohol and drugs and are mad about sex. This is why people want to jump off the mountains and do absolutely risky things in their life. They are sticking their neck out every day just to experience some butterflies in their stomach. A human being is constantly seeking to experience life deeper, whether he is aware of it or not. For most people, unpleasantness is the deepest experience in their life. They have never known true pleasantness within themselves. It has just been on the surface. It has never really gone deep into their life. That is why people with some intensity like artists, musicians, painters and dancers have always sought pain as an exp expression. It gives a depth to their work. Joy did not give depth to their work because they do not know how to depict joy in its highest form and deepest possibility. They have never known true joy. They have known pain. So they deepen their pain and try to depict that pain in their work so that there is depth to it. It is unpleasant but there is depth to it. Whatever you do, you want to experience life in a bigger way than you are experiencing it right now. You are unconsciously seeking a bigger experience, a bigger slice of life for yourself. Yoga or spirituality brings a matter and a science to that longing so that you can put your roots into the absolute core of life. Then the outside situation will no longer have an impact on you. If this happens, joy is not even the goal of your life anymore. It is just a side effect. It is something that is with you like a breath, like your breath. It is not something that you are aspiring for. It is not something that you think is a great achievement. It is just there. When you are already joyful, whatever happens or does not happen is not an issue. You are released from the fruit of action before you start the action. This is not because you developed some dispassion or re renunciation about it. It is simply because you are so joyful. Only if you are joyful you can be free from the fruit of action. When people are alive around you, you must value it and give your best every moment of your life. Questioner Sadhguru, how do we deal with the grief that comes from the death of our loved one? Sadhguru, 
I want you to look at this with a certain openness because if somebody is in grief, you don't talk truth to them. You just hug them and comfort them. You tell them pretty lies. You don't speak about truth, isn't it? When they are in grief, they are like little children. You are they are broken and have become tender. You just handle them tenderly and let them be. Maybe after they get back on their feet, you can tell them about the truth. But when they are in grief, it is not appropriate to try and tell them the hard truth of life. What is grief? First, let's understand that when someone dear to you is lost, your grief is not about a life being lost. You have collaged many things as your life. One important person fell off suddenly, so there is a hole in your life. That is what you are grieving about. You are not grieving because a life has gone from this planet. Every day thousands of people die, but you are not grieving. You are grieving for this particular one because it has left a hole, an empty space in your life and you are not able to handle that emptiness. So first, let's understand this. The grief is not about somebody dying. The grief is that somebody has left your life and gone and now your life has become crippled in some way. People grieve the loss of property, the loss of money, the loss of life. In fact, many people grieve loss of money much more than loss of people. They are much more broken by the loss of their money. It is a fact with lots of people. So the question is now about what is your loss? What you lost? The question is how crippled your life has become because of this loss. That is how much you grieve. Let us let us be straight about this. You are grieving that you, your life is broken because this person is gone. So simply means your life, you are grieving that your life is broken because this person is gone. I'm not trying to belittle your loss or make fun of it. Suppose you had a child. Before the child came, you were fine. The child came and enhanced your life in many ways. Now suppose the child dies. If a life has come into yours and enriched to you in some way, you must live better. But usually you get crippled because you cannot come to terms with this big hole that the loss has created in your life. Instead of enveloping ourselves with the love and joy that we experienced with that life, we are always choosing to make ourselves utterly bitter. I am not saying it is right or wrong. My life is gone, but there is no point crippling about a life. But there is no point crippling another life, either your own or those around you. Today, life is more secure on this planet than ever before. If we just look back at the previous generations, if your grandmother had five children, only two survived. That was normal. Today, if you have one and that one survives, it is very rare that it may not survive. Natural selection was happening. And it is happening to all the other creatures today because of medical science and various other factors we have stabilized our lives like never before. We should not be complaining any further. We are not wishing it upon ourselves. But if such things happen, we must be able to gracefully cross those situations. Whatever calamities happen to us, we have two options. Either we can come out of it broken or we can come out of it stronger. This is the choice we have. Some time ago, I met an old lady who was almost 85 years of age. She was from a Jewish family and was a 20-year-old girl during World War II in the year 
1939, she was picked up by the Germans along with her brother and parents. The parents were taken away to a separate place and she never found out where they were. They went. She had her eight-year-old brother was sent to a railway station where they remained for four days. It was winter and was pretty cold. Then the train came and like cattle, they were all loaded onto it. This little eight-year-old boy got onto the train, but he forgot to take his shoes. So the girl got angry with him and said, You idiot, wherever you go, I have to take care of you. Can't you get your own shoes? And those were the last words she said to him, because after that, they went separate. They, they were sent on separate trains, and she never saw him again. He did not survive. After some six years in the consecration camp, concentration camp, she survived and immigrated into the United States. She told me that on the very day she stepped out of the concentration camp alive with the rest of her life ahead of her, she made up her mind that she would never again say anything to anybody that she might regret if that happened to be the last thing that she said to them. That is wisdom, that is a strength. When people are alive, you do all kinds of silly things. You quarrel with them, you fight with them, you say nasty things to them. It is always possible that you may not see them tomorrow. Though we are not wishing it, it is always possible that you and I may die tomorrow. However, young and healthy we are, life is that fragile. When people are alive around you, you must value it and give your best every moment of your life. After they are gone, they are not yours. When they are there, when they are here, here they are yours. When they are here, you should not ignore them. If we cry after they are gone, it is of no use. This may sound brutal, but this is the reality. This is life. One can make any emotion into a creative force in one's life. Questioner, Sadhguru, you are telling us how one can either come out broken or come out wiser from calamities. Can you elaborate on how sadness can be a mean of growth? Sadhguru, most people do not know what it means for misery to strike in the form of life. But for certain people, when it really strikes, everything they have valued in their life is taken away and a deep sadness settles. There are many ways to handle this sadness. Some people just sit in a corner and drive themselves mad, making everybody miserable. There are others who, when they become sad, find a way of doing some useful work. Usually it is people who had been hurt like this who become great karma yogis in their life. Let me give you an example. There was a certain person who was a teacher in some primary school in Maharashtra. He lived in a village just off the Sayadri mountains with his wife and two children. Then some dreadful disease took his wife and children and he was left totally alone. The man was shattered because his, his whole life was built around those three people. He was on the verge of madness. He simply did not know what to do. So he just walked off into the Sayadri mountains and sat there. He remembered these mountains as they were when he was a child. They used to be green and full of trees. Now when he was walking in the mountains, it was barren, hot and unbearable. He sat there for many days picking fruits and nuts, eating them and just being there. After some time he decided that only because this mountain had become barren, life had made his life barren. Whether it is true or not is not the point. He decided to do something about this. He lived there like a saint single-handedly picked up seeds, 
wherever they fell off from the trees and without anybody's support he planted about four lakh trees and made them grow. He saw them through for 25 years. Today, four lakh trees are standing on the Sayadri mountains because of this one man. He is a yogi, though nobody taught him any yoga. One can make any emotion into a creative force in one's life. It is not a negative force. There is no negativity in the existence. We may think somebody is negative something uh, and something else is positive. But a light burns because of negative and positive. Wires together. A light burns because of a positive and negative bias together. Negative is not something to get rid of. It is an important it is as important as the positive. If your sadness is reminding you that you are incomplete, it is good. Make use of your sadness to grow. When sadness sets in, if you become more compassionate, more caring and more loving, you have some sense in you. When you get sad, if you get terrible and irritable and angry and think that the whole world is wrong, you are a fool. At that moment, if someone meddles within you, with you, your sadness can very easily become anger. So are you making the sadness into anger or are you making the sadness into love and compassion? It is very easy to become compassionate when you are sad. Learning to use all your emotions creatively is very important. It is not just happiness which is important. If you have not known sadness, you will not mature. Only if you have known sadness and pain are you a mature person. Otherwise, you will never understand what is happening with you nor will you understand what is happening with anyone else around you. Depression means you are unable to maintain the exuberance of life in you. Questioner, I see it happening all around us that as we grow older, depression becomes a natural emotion within all of us and takes a toll on human beings. How do we adjust to this situation which is inevitable and happening all the time? Sadhguru, once you declare that depression is a natural process, there is no way out. When you were a child, being joyful was natural to you, not being depressed. So. Do not declare that depression is natural. Depression means you are unable to maintain the exuberance of life in you. It happens even in your body. If you are depressed, even the physical body flops. Life within you is not exuberant. It has just gone down and lost its exuberance because you are not doing the right thing with it. You are imposing too much outside nonsense upon this inside, upon the inside. You have not done anything to keep your life energies high. Depression is like is kind of agony. If you have become agony and not ecstasy, it is just a large part of your life energy is happening compulsively, not consciously. It is happening as a reaction to the external situations. Once you are happening compulsively, becoming depressed is very normal because external situations are never 100% in your control. There are so many things happening in the world that if there is a compulsive reaction within you, getting lost and becoming miserable is natural. If you are not depressed, it must be an accident. The more exposed you are to life, the more miserable you will become. If you hide yourself in a room, maybe you will be okay as long as the cockroaches cooperate with you. But if they become too many in number, again you become miserable. Whenever people are unable to handle life outside, they try to curtail their life and withdraw. But even that goes out of control, doesn't it? There is one part of you which is constantly seeking expansion. You want to constantly increase the boundaries and areas of your activity. There is another part of you which is getting depressed every time something does not go the way you think it should go. Getting depressed is subject to the non-fulfillment of your expectations.
there is a chemistry to your depression. Of course, every experience has a chemical basis, but if you remain in a certain level of mental alertness and awareness, the chemistry will fall into place by itself. Right now, you may not have the capacity to maintain that level of alertness. If the stock market falls today, so many people will get depressed. Many of them may never have even touched that money, but every day they were watching the graphs rising and their mood was in ascendancy. Now they see the graph falling, so their mood is falling. It is just that what they expected to happen did not happen. People can cause depression in their mood in so many ways. If you take if you take away what they think is precious, they will become depressed. The tragedy with a lot of people, especially in affluent society, is that they have everything and yet they have nothing. Depression means something a certain hope, hopelessness has set in. If you go to some very poor village in India, they are normally impoverished, but you will you will still see joyful faces because they have hope tomorrow is going to be better. In affluent societies, that hope is gone. Depression has set in because everything that can be used externally has been fixed. There is food, there is housing, there is clothing, there is everything. But still, there is something wrong. They just do not know what. A poor man may simply think tomorrow, if I get a new pair of footwear, everything will be fine. If I if he gets a new pair of footwear, he will walk like a king with great joy on his face because he has hope. The outside is not yet fixed. In affluent society, the outside is fixed, but the inside is not, so there is hopelessness and depression. First, we must fix the inside and then work on the outside, then the world will be beautiful. What we call as a spiritual process is justice, not just fixing the objectives aspect of your life, but taking care of the subjectivity of who you are. If that is not taken care of, you will have everything and you will have nothing. As long as you exist here identified as a little body, fear is inevitable. Questioner, <clears throat> where does fear come from? Sadhguru, suppose you were the first person on this planet, which you are in your experience. A billion people might have lived on this planet before you, but still in your experience, everything is new to you. So suppose you are the first person on this planet and you look up, the sun is shining, you don't know from where, it burns up you. It burns you up. Suddenly there is a boom and you hear the thunder and rain falls. You do not know from where. Suddenly the wind blows. Suddenly a volcano opens up. Suddenly the earth shakes one day. You do not know the beginning or the end of this existence. You are this tiny little life in this vast experience. The question, what will happen to me, is constantly there. So fear is always right behind the curtains. If you just open it, you will pop up. As long as you exist here identified as a little body, fear is inevitable. Your physical body is, a const is in constant danger moment to moment. Any moment it may fall apart for some reason. So if you are experiencing your life as a physical body, fear is a natural result of that. Only if, you experience, if your experience of life transcends the limitation of the physical, you will be free from fear. If your experience of life transcends the limitation of the physical, a dimension beyond the physical becomes a living reality for you. When your inner realities happen consciously, your peacefulness, your joyfulness, your blissfulness are 100% yours. Nobody else or nothing else can ever threaten it. If you make yourself like this, the question of what will happen to me will disappear. Once this question disappears, fear would disappear too. Oh, but that looks like such a tall order. Will such a thing happen to me in my life? Do I have to go to the Himalaya caves? 
if you are willing if you are willing to invest just a little bit of time on a daily basis you can get there this does not require you to leave your life to leave your life and go somewhere else the problem right now is that without making an investment you are expecting returns if you are willing to invest let us say 25 minutes a day every day it will pay off once this fear is gone life takes on a completely different dimension if the fear of what will happen to me exists within you you will only have you will only take half steps never really full steps only when this fear is gone can you keep the survival instinct down and really look for a bigger possibility in your life you can truly explore your potential i am not talking about a teacher teaching or a belief system i am talking about technology a simple way of turning inward and fixing a new things about yourself so that life takes on a new dimension within yourself if fear is the basis of what you are doing it will definitely not bring well being to you questioner if fear is such a crippling force then why is it such an important part of our life we have even been told to be god fearing sadguru nowadays it is common for people to say that if you don't go to god's temple church mosque or whatever and give him his weekly payoff he will get angry he will make your children unhealthy and turn your business upside down anybody who has any sense will not want to go anybody who has any sense will not want to go anywhere near that sort of man we have presented the divine in such a juvenile way do not become a god fearing person this is not something that you seek with fear if fear is the basis of what you are doing it will definitely not bring well being to you what you will come to in the end will not be good bhay fear and bhakti devotion cannot go together if you have bhakti in your ha- in your heart there is no bhay in you if there is bhay in you you have not known bhakti in your life yet today people are talking about bhay bhakti the deception has gone so deep people are not god loving anymore they are god fearing they fear everything so naturally they fear god also you fear just about anything because your identification is limited as a physical entity fear is a natural result of this wrong identification till you transcend the limitation of your identity as a physical entity fear will always be a companion you may forget about it for certain moment but if you turn back and see it is right there if you start experiencing yourself beyond the limitation of physical there is no question of fear every day just spend 5 minutes reminding yourself that you are mortal and you may die today questioner i have a phobia a fear of disease and i am rather repulsed by disease and sick people how do i grow out of this sadguru nobody wants disease of course nobody would choose to be disease everybody wants to be healthy at the same time we must understand that once you have a body illness old age and death are natural processes of life illness may happen at any moment you take care to see what we are not ill that we are not you take care to see that we are not ill but if you become excessively concerned about illness or health that becomes an illness just trying to avoid illness is an illness illness means something that restricts your life in some way that is why you do not like it but the fear of illness also restricts your life it is an illness by itself especially once you cross 45 your fear of illness becomes much more pronounced when you were young you did not think about it because you thought you were immortal only after you are 45 the fact comes to you your fear is not the illness your fear is of death 
illness is the passage in the first step towards death the fundamental fear is always of death you are still not addressing death directly you are addressing illness because you know if illness comes the other one will follow generally in society people have been telling you and convincing you that after all fear of death is natural the problem is that whatever the majority is doing because natural becomes natural whatever the majority is doing becomes natural if the majority was smoking cigarettes people would say smoking is a natural thing but a human being is not made to smoke you are not an automobile it is not natural for you to smoke but people will make it natural so fear of death has been made natural only by social situations fear of death arises because of a certain sense of ignorance and unawareness when life happens the natural process is death being afraid of a natural process is unnatural fear of death happens simply because you are not in touch with the reality your identification with this body has become so strong because you have not explored other dimensions if you had explored other dimensions of experience the body would not be such a big issue if you establish yourself in other dimensions of experience life or death will not make such a big difference the question of shedding the body is not a big issue it is a very simple affair once this body has run its course it will anyway go whether you like it or not whether you approve or disapprove it will happen as long as the body is there taking good care of it is definitely your business but if you are paranoid about ill health or death you will not take good care of it in your anxiety you will destroy the body the very anxiety of what we, what may happen to this body will destroy it people are terrified of just seeing a dead body why people die every day and i'm not saying it is a small thing for the people who love and care for them but why are people afraid to even see a dead body living bodies are dangerous they can do many things to you living people are capable of so many things what will a dead body do to you the safest thing is a dead body when i was about 14 or 15 for about 5 years i spent an enormous amount of time in the in the cemeteries in mysore i i was somehow drawn to such places i would sit there the whole night because everybody was talking about spirits and i wanted to see them then some uh, men told me that every amavasya new moon night he goes and gives his blood to some ghost and devils he showed me his finger all worn out from cutting it and feeding blood so i went with him and waited the whole night for three amavasya but he would anyway he would always say no today it has not come it is good to expose yourself to death i know you have been told that you should not even utter the word death in your house people have a stupid hope that if you do not utter this word it will not it will never enter in your house Do you think death will not come to you just because the word death is not in your vocabulary? The process of yoga is completely rooted in death. In fact, you will become spiritual only if you start facing death. If you think of God, you will not become spiritual. You will invent stories. You will seek moral survival, well-being and prosperity. Thinking of God is not spirituality. It is just another desperate attempt to somehow live well. What is beyond the physical body is what we are referring to as spiritual. Only when you are confronted with death you start looking beyond this body and this spiritual process will upon you will open up for you you can use whatever happens around you illness death or calamity to either liberate yourself or entangle yourself especially calamities such as death and illness are tremendous opportunities to look beyond the limitation of what you normally understand as life
You thought the normal understanding of life is getting up in the morning, having a coffee and breakfast, going to work, doing this and that, again eating and doing this and that, throwing yourself around on everybody and again coming back in the evening. You thought this was life. One day when you are bedridden, suddenly you find life seems to be something very different from what you thought. This need not happen to you if you are intelligent. Everything in this world need not happen to you. You must learn from other people's experience. Gautama Buddha saw just one sick man, an old man and one dead body and he realized that one day this could happen to him so there is no point in running away from it. Let us look at it. If somebody is ill, see that this could have been you and it could be you any day. The most, the most horrible illness that somebody has, we do not want it or nor, nor we are wishing for it, could be yours any day. It does not matter whether you are 18 or 80. To face everything with a stable and balanced mind is important. Avoiding it is not the solution. Avoiding it is not the solution. If you avoid it, you only get entangled. Do not avoid illness or death. Please face it. Several years ago, I was in Bangalore and I went to the vegetable market. The person who was with me was buying vegetables and I was just walking through the market. Suddenly, I saw this vegetable vendor who was all bright and lit up. I could not believe a man like this was selling vegetables. I looked around, I looked at him and instantly our eyes locked. I laughed and he also started laughing. I went to him and we started talking. We had just been a plain vegetable, he had just been a plain vegetable seller when one day he became ill and thought he was going to die for uh, for over four months he remained so ill that every day he thought I'm that today I'm going to die he went through this for four months and then he recovered then something wonderful happened to him he got enlightened so he said now when anybody who comes to me to my shop I bless them to suffer a long illness I said that's great because but if people come to you you have had it but if people come to know you have had it every day just spend five minutes reminding yourself that you are mortal and you may die today it is possible that today you might fall dead isn't it just remind yourself wonderful things will happen to you chapter four break the barriers to be peaceful is the fundamental of your life questioner we often have to deal with chaotic situations. How do we remain peaceful in such situations? Sadhguru, all of us need peace in our lives. You wish to be in peace, but the mind is agitated. So mentally, you have no peace. Suppose you lose your peace, naturally, first you will have to quarrel with your husband or wife. As it progresses, you go and yell at your neighbor. As it progresses further, you yell at your own boss. The day you yell at your boss, everyone knows that you need medical help. Yelling at your husband, wife or neighbor may be perceived as normal because everyone is doing that. Yelling at your boss would be taking it too far. Now you are in a situation where you have to go to a doctor. He gives you a tablet. Once the tablet goes into your system, you become peaceful, at least for a few hours. When some chemical is put into the system at the level of body and mind, agitation leaves and a little peace 
said Sin. So peace is a sort of chemistry within the body. Similarly, every emotion has a type of chemistry. Whatever the feeling is, it will have a corresponding chemical system within the body that will adjust with it. If we are peaceful, a peaceful chemistry is there within us. Or if we can create that kind of chemistry within us, automatically peace is there within us. In yoga, we approach it both ways. With the right kind of practices, we can bring about a change in our internal chemistry and bring it up to a particular level so that whatever be the situation, we will always be in peace. Right now, your peace is a slave to the external situations. If the situation is conducive to you, you, may, you remain in peace. If the situation is not, is not okay for you, there is a problem. Only when your peace is not enslaved to the external situation and your inner self remains the same no matter what the external situation is, then we can call it yoga. In other words, you can say that yoga is the science of creating the right kind of chemistry. If you have the right kind of chemistry, being peaceful and joyful is always is the only way. It cannot be any other way. To be peaceful and joyful is not the end of life. It is the beginning of life. If you are not even peaceful, if you are caught up in your mental nonsense, you have not started living yet. Being peaceful or joyful is the most basic requirement. Even if you want to enjoy your breakfast or dinner, you must be peaceful. If you are agitated, can you enjoy your dinner? No, being peaceful is the very beginning. But today, people go about propagating that the highest dimension of one's life is to have peace of mind. Unfortunately, because large population of the world have not made this beginning, there are people propagating it as if it was the ultimate in life. It is, a, it is so unfortunate that the so-called spiritual people are going about telling people that to be peaceful is the ultimate. To be peaceful is the most fundamental thing. This is not enlightenment or God. This is the A of life, not the Z of life. It is the very beginning. When you are happy by your own nature, not because of somebody else or something else, you have enormous freedom in your activity. Questioner, if it is so fundamental, why do we peace? Why do peace and happiness seem to be elusive for most people? Sadhguru, when it is such a basic requirement, why is happiness so elusive? Why is it that so many people do not even know how to sit peacefully in one place? The basic reason is that somewhere we believe that by fixing the outside, everything will be okay with life. India still needs a lot of fixing on the outside, but there are many Western societies where they have fixed the outside sufficiently. An enormous amount of human activity has happened. Because of science and technology, we have done so many things that the very face of the planet has changed. The way the planet used to look has completely changed in 100 years. So much fixing has happened that the planet's life is under threat. We have fixed the world to that extent. In spite of that, have people become peaceful and happy? The external sciences can bring you comforts and conveniences. Today, in terms of comforts and conveniences, ordinary citizens in the world have what loyalty, royalty did not have a hundred years ago. In spite of that, it cannot be said that humanity is any more peaceful or loving than what it was a hundred years ago.
Right now, in many ways, people's happiness, peace, and love are mortgaged to the external situation. They are never going to happy or truly peaceful because no matter what kind of a person you are, however peaceful, however powerful you are, even if you are a superman, you do not have absolute control over the external situation. Even with two people in the family, you do not have total control over the situation. You can manage the external situation only to create a certain or only to a certain extent, whereas your interiority can be taken into absolute control. As there is a science for external well-being, there is also a science for inner well-being which has not been looked at for a very long time. This is offered as a technology, so it is just a question of the intensity you practice it with. It works accordingly. Every human being is capable of existing here in blissfulness one of the things that people who practice yoga always hear from their relatives and their friends is why can't you take that smile off your face suddenly you seem to be joyful all the time by yourself not because of anything that is happening with your life you are simply joyful because that is your nature when you were a child you were like this to some extent you were simply happy even if there was a death in the family, you were still happy. Only after you became a certain amount of mind, then you started suffering everything. Most, for most people, nothing has gone wrong with their lives, but they fear it may, but they fear it may go wrong. If you use, if you are using an external stimulus, it is a problem. You should find an inner stimulus. What we, were, what we are saying in terms of yoga is just this. This is a technology of finding an inner stimulus to all the in, inner dimensions of who you are. You have an inner stimulus for your joy, blissfulness, your peace, your love. Now you do not depend on anybody. You are always peaceful, joyful, loving. When you are happy, you are happy by your own nature, not because of somebody else or something else. Now you have enormous freedom in your activity, even if the world does not agree with you it does not matter you still know how what to do only when you are happy by your own nature you are not a vested interest in this world otherwise wherever you go you are trying to extract happiness from situations and people around you for many people their friends gradually turn into their enemies because they are trying to extract happiness out of their friends and their friends are trying to extract happiness out of them this is bound to lead a war if your life is about expressing your happiness not extracting happiness you will be very different. Just look at the experience of your life. The moment you are expressing your happiness are the most beautiful moments in your life. In expressing your happiness, maybe you smiled, you gave somebody a gift, or you just hugged somebody. Yet, these things have been a bigger and more beautiful experience within you than pursuing happiness and doing big things. Do you know how sweet life becomes when your whole life is an expression of your happiness? When you live here as a potential calamity, being joyful is very difficult. <clears throat> Questioner. Sitting here in the ashram and listening to this discourse is beautiful. But when we have to go back to the noisy, hectic city, it's different. We can't just detach ourselves from situations and come here. So what do we do? Sadhguru. We are not talking about detachment, nor is it necessary to come to the ashram. We definitely seek a conducive atmosphere, but that is not the 100% of it. Do you see that everything that a person does seems to be happening in the pursuit of happiness? 
फंडामेंटली वाई डू यू ऑल डू द थिंग्स दैट यू आर डूइंग फॉर एग्जाम्पल वाई डिड यू स्टार्ट अ फैमिली समवेयर यू बिलीव्ड दैट इट वुड ब्रिंग योर हैप्पीनेस probably for some they got married because of the family pressure but why did you give it give it give in to the pursue pressure but why did you give in to the pressure because somewhere you th- you thought making them happy was your happiness you picked up people you picked up education you picked up your profession you picked up so many things on the way only because you believed these are all instruments to make you happy you educate yourself you pursue career you run businesses you raise families you run the rat race why somewhere you believe that all of these things happen you will be happy at every point you believe if i get the job i'll be happy if i get promotion i'll be happy if i get married i will be happy if i have a children if i have a child i'll be happy at every point you believed if these things happen i will be happy so you are doing all these things in the pursuit of happiness either you do it either you go at it straight or you go about it roundabout but still you are in pursuit of happiness either you route it through heaven your wife or husband the bottle or something else or you just approach it directly if happiness is your objective let us look at the very fundamentals of it whenever you were happy happiness did not rain upon you from outside it it found expression from within maybe an external stimulus was there but you were happy inside you were not happy somewhere else something happened that ignited this happiness within you but the experience of happiness was always within you happiness is within but the key is outside there are many ways to understand this one simple way is that although you may be identified with many things in your life in this moment when you sit here you are just a certain amount of life energy you may be a doctor you may be a policeman you may be a housewife you may be many things socially but this moment existentially you are just a certain amount of life energy you are just a piece of life this life energy may be listening speaking or doing something else but beyond your identification if you simply look at yourself at your experience you are just a certain amount of energy functioning in a certain way this life energy which you call which you right now call as myself sometimes have been very joyful sometimes utterly miserable sometimes very peaceful sometimes in turmoil sometimes in agony and sometimes ecstatic <coughs> this life energy is capable of those things if you are given a choice to be either miserable or blissful what would you choose you would obviously choose to be blissful everybody has that much intelligence nobody has to write a veda or an upanishad to tell you please choose bliss do not choose misery the very life in you is longing to be joyful and blissful there is no other choice in spite of this so much misery has happened simply because your life energies are functioning compulsively they are not functioning functioning consciously anymore they are functioning as a reaction to the situation in you in which you live if your inner experience is decided by what is happening outside of you then your very way of being is bound to be accidental if you exist here as an accident you are always a potential calamity when you live here as a potential calamity being joyful is a very difficult process that is all that has happened right now one day 
shriveled old man was sitting in a bachelor's only club in the in the mid morning drinking whiskey after whiskey and chain smoking a woman observed this and went up to him and asked hey old boy how come you are drinking and smoking away like this in the morning it looks like you don't have a care in the world he said yes i don't have a care in the world the woman asked him what is the secret of your life how come you are here like this the old man replied the secret of my life is i have my fifth whisky by noon i chain smoke through the day and i eat just whatever i please this is the secret of my life she said that's amazing how do you manage this anyway how old are you he said i am 22 different people have different ideas of well-being but fundamentally you really feel when you really feel well when you are happy when you are happy even if you are physically ill you still feel well or in the words what you call as human well being is being peaceful and joyful but somewhere you have missed the fundamentals of life you did not grasp the basics that is why even though happiness is so important and fundamental it seems to be so elusive for most people if you are joyful no exploitation can ever touch you can a joyful person be exploited or bullied sadguru whichever way you are joyful or miserable you could be exploited by somebody it is not because you are joyful or miserable that somebody can exploit you if somebody gets into a position of advantage either because of his capability or because of the social social situation or something else he could exploit you that is a possibility in the world wherever you go but if you are anyway joyful exploitation has no impact on you exploitation can happen in many ways but misery is an exploitation by itself somebody else is exploiting you is one thing but you are exploiting your own life causing misery to yourself but if you are a joyful person nobody can truly exploit you because exploitation means doing something against your well-being when you are a joyful person who can do anything against your well-being even if they put you to death you will die joyfully nobody can exploit a person who is truly joyous no matter what is being done to him he has got nothing to lose if he is killed one joyful being is lost he lost nothing he just lost a body it does not mean anything to him at least the pain and the struggle of the body are over for him only a miserable person is constantly thinking about something exploiting him every little action they think there must be some undercurrent of something else you may have seen this happening as people become more miserable they are constantly afraid that somebody will exploit them all the time they are paranoid that somebody will take advantage of them what is there to take advantage of in most people they have made themselves in, into such a disadvantage that whichever way they exist they are at a disadvantage is that not exploitation If you are miserable nobody needs to exploit you everything is exploitation if you are joyful it does not matter what they do no exploitation can ever touch you if they do something stupid to you you are only dreaming their life not yours you are demeaning you are only they are only demeaning their own life not yours you can make a miserable 
person's life meaningless how can you make a joyful person's life meaningless his existence is beautiful by itself he is not looking for any meaning exploitation is possible on the planet only because a large number of people are miserable otherwise there is no exploitation for example if you look at the crucifixion of jesus physically it is the most horrible thing that can happen to a human being when somebody is driving nails into your hands and legs when such physical pain happens you should scream yell and curse the world but it seems he said they know they know not what they are doing forgive them can a man say this if he is suffering or if he is in misery he could say this only because he had an inner source of joy which could not be touched even by such physical torture so they could not exploit him even with something as terrible as crucifixion he still maintained his quality maybe someone can physically harm and kill a joyful person but you cannot exploit him exploitation means he must be placed at a disadvantage which cannot be done if you are truly joyful compassion means an all encompassing passion questioner sometimes in our compassion when we reach out to people the situation also takes a toll on us and we become unhappy how do we keep ourselves away um, uh, from being affected sadguru if you are compassionate you will never be affected if you are kind you will be affected kindness is an insult suppose you went to your friend's house if he is not being loving to you if he is just being kind to you will you feel great or you will feel insulted participant insulted satguru that is what you are doing if you are kind it will affect you if you are compassionate it will not affect you compassion means you have a deep passion towards everything whatever you see and whatever you you are in touch with when your passion becomes all inclusive that is compassion when you are intentionally involved with everything in the existence that is compassion now it will not affect you this is life it is an intense way of being alive if you are passionate with everything you would be passionate with the sun coming up you would be passionate with the snow falling you would be passionate with the flower blooming when you are like this would life affect you in a negative way it will not when you are an unconscious existence there is no way not to be affected when you are your whole life is just a reaction to what you live in how will you not be affected this is life having a thorn bush in your garden but you want to grow apples out of it how can you grow apples out of a thorn bush there is no such technology anywhere if you want apples you must plant an apple tree that is what is needed right now who you are is everything that has come to you in bits and pieces from somebody else how do you make these bits and pieces harmonious joyful and complete you can try as hard as you want but you will never make it so the sooner you realize this the better most people take a lifetime to realize that once you realize it is not going to work that is when you have to turn inward if everything is going well in your life that is when you should come to your senses most people come to their senses when things go dead wrong you should not wait till that point when things are going well you must come to your senses the moment you carry the past and future you become a donkey carrying that burden there is no way any anyone can be compassionate you can only pretend 
when you are so light that nothing matters only then you can be truly passion compassionate love and compassion flow out of any person when there is no burden at all what we naturally carry as love which is which is a great burden is not really love it is simply your own needs and greed covered up with a raiment of love you can taste love and compassion in your life only when you are in this moment fresh absolutely without any burden if you are carrying the burden of the past with you there is no way it is possible there may be some moments in your life when you feel true compassion towards something or somebody at that moment all your personality who you are what you are everything would have melted you were simply there that moment only when you are like that such compassion is possible in terms of emotion compassion is the highest thing that a person can go through only somebody who lives in compassion is a real seeker compassion means an all encompassing passion your passion is no longer discriminatory whatever is in touch with you right now you are deeply passionate with that whatever it is if you look at something you are not just casually looking at something there is nothing casual in your life everything is with total passion you breathe with passion you walk with passion you live with passion your very existence is with absolute involvement with everything this is compassion this has got nothing to do with anybody even if nobody is here you can live in great compassion love is not a joy it is a deep wonderful pain questioner if we carry the joy of love can we walk the spiritual path with ease sadguru love is not a joy it is a deep wonderful pain it is a very deep tearing wonderful pain everything within you should tear only then you know what love what what love is if you felt pleasant that is not love it is just convenience maybe you felt a little affection but if you felt loving everything inside you really tears apart it is painful but wonderful when you are in love everything that you do is love if you eat it will be love whether you work for that person or you do not do anything for the person and you just sit there it will be love but today we have imbibed this idea we have started using this term love making only a certain act is supposed to be love you cannot make love if you allow it it may happen to you love is never really exclusive love includes everything when you are in love you look at your dog you will love it you look at a tree you will love it you look at a flower you love it you look at the sky you will love it when you are in love everything becomes beautiful if only one person has become beautiful for you there is no love in you it is only just lust wanting to express itself decently love is a quality not an act meditation also is a quality not an act spirituality is a quality not an act it is new dimension it is nothing it is not something you do it is something that you move into it is something that uh, that you allow to overpower you otherwise there is no spirituality if you think you are going to become spiritual it is not going to happen you become vulnerable only then there is a spirituality if you stand like a rock there is no spirituality emotionally when you break the barriers of who you are you call it love that is the yoga of love or yoga of devotion sadguru questioner sadguru is falling in love or being in love with a person the same as devotion sadguru a devotee a devotee is insanely passionate when you truly love somebody you will naturally be devoted how can you not be devoted if you are not devoted to the person whom you love there is really no love it is only a mutual benefit scheme it is just a socially picked up word 
maybe you are also saying it because everybody is saying i love you love is essentially devotion but normally if we have to distinguish between the two we can say love still has conditions attached to it whatever your expectations are only if those things are fulfilled your love affair will continue devotion is not like that it is unconditional that is the beauty of it love also genuinely becomes a fulfilling and life nurturing process for any human being only if it is con- unconditional the moment it becomes conditional it becomes a transaction human transactions on the physical emotional and intellectual level are being referred to as love they are useful you fulfill my need i will fulfill your need it is utilitarian it is just that we would not like to see like to see it that way because that makes people's life ugly they want to give a beautiful name to it so they generally call it love when you go to the temple church mosque or some other such place people call it devotion but if you decipher and look at it there is r- rarely any devotion i wouldn't say no one is devoted definitely some people are but generally once again it is a transaction you do whatever god is supposed to be expecting you to do and then god is supposed to do many other things for you if you pray what is your prayer the basis of your prayer is fear and greed please see give me this give me that and save me this is also a kind of transaction a deal but this is a very unfair deal because generally what men offers to god and what he thinks asks in return is a very unfair transaction the english expression falling in love is really appropriate and very beautiful they always talk about falling in love nobody is ever talking about standing up in love or climbing in love or flying in love because always when what you consider as myself fall a deep experience of love can happen within you love and devotion are not two different things but still in one uh, in our life we generally separate them because one is supposed to be towards a higher purpose and another is supposed to fulfill the day to day needs but i would say there is no need to separate these two love is devotion and devotion is just love without love how can anybody be devoted how how can anybody be devout you don't become a devotee just because you have subscribed to a certain religion creed or whatever a devotee cannot subscribe himself to anything he is just drawn i should tell you an example ramakrishna paramhansa lived as a very intense devotee most of his life he was a mad devotee there is no devotee who is not mad if one is not mad one is not a devote devotee because devotion is madness a very beautiful madness but it is madness so ramakrishna was an ecstatic and insane man now with a certain distance of time it is very easy to say he is paramhansa but if you lived with him it would be very different suppose your neighbor jumps over into your garden in the middle of the night comes and hugs your tree and starts screaming and crying would you think he got enlightened or would you think he is drunk or crazy this is what ramakrishna was doing he would burst into tears anywhere and cry like a baby if he sees a tree if he sees a cloud if he sees the sun or the moon he would cry like crazy you would not think he was enlightened you would definitely think he was insane ramakrishna was a devotee of kali for him kali was not a deity kali was a living reality she danced in front of him ate from his own hands 
came when he called and left him dripping with ecstasy. This was real. It was actually happening. Chemically, he was all ecstasy. One day, he was sitting on the bank of Hugli River, and a very great yogi, a rare yogi, Tatapuri, Totapuri, came that way. Though Ramakrishna's body, mind, and emotion were dripping with ecstasy, his being was longing to go beyond this ecstasy, because somewhere there was an awareness that even this ecstasy is a bondage. Still, the sweetness of ecstasy that he experienced was too much to leave and go. This is not any different from a drunk being addicted to his drunk or a drug addicted, drug addict being addicted to some substance. This should not be misunderstood. The only thing that is different is alcohol and drugs will damage the system. This devoted ecstasy will not damage the system because it is internal. It is beautiful. There is no question about it. But the addiction, the attachment and the longing for that is the same and the limitation is also the same. Whenever Ramakrishna had contact with Kali, his object of devotion, he would be dripping with ecstasy and he was fine with that. When Tatapuri came, this trans transpired between them. Tatapuri said, this is very simple. You have the necessary energy. You just have to empower your awareness. You are empowering your emotion. You are empowering your body. You are empowering the chemistry within you. You are not empowering your awareness. Ramakrishna said, okay, I will empower my awareness and, and sit still. But the moment he had a vision of Kali, he again went into uncontrolled state of love and ecstasy. Any number of time he sat down, but the moment he saw Kali, he just flew off. Then Totapuri said, next time Kali appears, you have to take a sword and cut her into pieces. Ramakrishna asked, where do I get the sword from? Tutapuri replied, from the same place you get Kali from. If you are able to create a whole Kali, why can't you create a sword to cut her? You can do it, get ready. Again, the moment Kali came, he burst into ecstasy and forgot about the sword, the awareness and everything. So then Totapuri told him, sit this time. The moment Kali comes, look at this. He picked up a piece of glass and said, with this piece of glass, I am going to cut you where you are stuck. When I cut you, you create the sword and cut Kali down. So when Ramakrishna was just on the edge of ecstasy, when Kali appeared in his vision, Totapuri took a piece of glass and cut him really deep across his forehead. Then Ramakrishna created the sword and cut Kali down. He became free from the mother and ecstasy of feeding of her. And that is when he truly became a Paramhansa. Till then, he was a lover, he was a devotee, he was a child to the mother goddess that he created. When love reaches its peak, it naturally becomes reverence. Questioner. In the tradition, we were always taught to be reverent reverential towards God or the highest aspect. So how to reconcile this with Mirabai or Akka Mahadevi or who took God as their lover? Sadhguru Where there is no love, how can reverence come? When love reaches it its peak, it naturally becomes reverence. People who are talking about reverence without love know neither this nor that. All they know is fear. So probably you are referring to God-fearing people. These sages and saints, especially the seers like Akka Mahadevi, Mahadevi Mirabai or 
anusuya and so many of them in the past have taken to this form of worship because it was it was more suitable for them they could emote much more easily than they could intellectualize things they just use their emotions to reach their ultimate nature using emotions and reaching the ultimate nature is what is called bhakti yoga in every culture there are different forms of worship some people worship god as the master and themselves as the slaves some times they even take god as their servant or as a partner in everything that they do yet other worship him as a friend as a lover or as their own child like bala krishna generally you become the feminine and you hold him as the ultimate purusha masculine how you worship is not at all the point the whole point is just how deeply you relate these are the different attitudes but whatever the attitude the love affair is such that you are not expecting anything from the other side not even a response you crave for it but if there is no response you are not going to be angry you are not going to be disappointed nothing your life is just to crave and make something else tremendous tremendously more important than yourself that is the fundamental thing in the whole bhakti in the whole path of bhakti the important thing is just this that something else is far more important than you so akka mirabai and others like them their bhakti was in that form and they look this mode of worship where they worshiped god whether shiva or krishna as their husband in india when a woman comes to a certain age marriage is also like a must and it anyway happens they wanted to eliminate that dimension of being married once again to another man so they chose to lo- they chose the lord himself as their husband so that they don't need any other relationship in their lives how a devotee relates to this uh, his object of devotion does not really matter because the purpose of the path of devotion is just dissolution dissolution the only objective of a devotee is to dissolve into his object of devotion whichever way they could relate best that is how they would do it the reason why you ask this question in terms of reverence juxa posed with being a lover or husband is because the word love or being a lover is always understood as a physical aspect that is why this question has come how can you be how can you be physical with somebody and still be reverential this has been the tragedy of humanity that lovers have not known how to be reverential to each other in fact the very object of love is to dissolve into someone else if you look at love as an emotion you can see that love is a vehicle to bring oneness it is the longing to become one with the other which we are referring to as love when it is taken to its peak it is very natural to become reverential towards what you consider worthwhile being one with for whatever sake you are willing to dissolve yourself it is a natural to reverential towards that otherwise how would you feel that it is worthwhile to dissolve into if you think it is something you can use or something you can just relate to and beneficial by there can be no love other always the object of love is to dissolve so whatever you consider is worthwhile to dissolve your own self into you are bound to be reverential towards that there is no other way to be devotion by practice usually does not take you anywhere questioner how do you become a devotee sadguru today because of the way we have cultivated the intellect and our education system our social our social order dem- demands a certain level of intellect all of the physical sciences have grown out of intellects doubts questioning and experimenting 
if a mind like that tries to be devout it can only lead to deception most of the people who believe they are devout are only deceiving themselves because a thinking questioning mind cannot really become a devotee a thinking questioning mind cannot really become a devotee not that there is no element of devotion at all but such a person cannot become a true devotee because a devotee is only seeing how to dissolve with his object of devotion he has no agenda of his own whatever the object of devotion dictates he goes that way a devotee is never thinking in terms of his well being and intellect cannot do that so trying to put the intellect under the carpet and walk away is not going to happen because it will obviously pop up somewhere else and bother you cultivated devotion is just deception when you are overwhelmed by something you will naturally be devo- devoted to it devotion by practice usually does not take you anywhere if you try to practice devotion it will lead you into so many kinds of hallucination that you start believing all kind of things if you are overwhelmed by something or someone naturally you become devout a devotee means <clears throat> not much of him is left a devotee means even his physical body will change to resemble his own his object of devotion everything in you becomes like the object of your devotion a wonderful example of this was this incredible man in tamil nadu there was a series series a lady saint in india whose name was mayamma mayamma means the illusory mother when i say she was a saint don't think she was certified by someone these are sages they are not stamped by someone their life is a stamp no one knows where this woman come from she was a really puny woman less than 5 feet tall looking at their facial features i think she came from nepal but definitely she was not from southern india because she did not even know the language and she never bothered to learn the language she just walked on the street in the southern southernmost tip of india which is known as kanyakumari if somebody gave her something to eat she ate otherwise she just walked around she came as a young woman and people wondered who she was and thought she was crazy she would be dancing and singing and crying on the streets then somehow she drew dogs which gathered around her always eight or 10 dogs would follow her wherever she went they did not gather for her saintly saintly qualities they gathered because she always fed him fed them she loved these dogs so much that she would steal for them this bunch of dogs would follow her and she would go to a restaurant where they would have a display of food she would stand there and when no one was looking she would grab all the food and throw it on the street all the dogs would help themselves and so naturally she was their friend many times she was thrashed by the restaurant owners if she came anywhere near everyone w- would take a stick abuse her and send her off but on one occasion people saw her just sitting on the water and floating around she would simply sit on the water and float all over the place on the ocean when she wanted to come back she would swim otherwise she would just float upon the water and go away on into the ocean once people saw this they stopped abusing her and beating her because she was better than those who walk some people started worshiping her some people gathered around her but she never spoke not a word 
She walked and some people walked behind her. If she sat, they sat around her. The dogs also sat, the people also sat, but she never said a word or gave any teaching. Then as she was aging, a famous musician wanted to build a small house for her. He moved her from that place and put her up in the town of Salim, which is away from the ocean. She loved the ocean so much, they should have built something for her by the ocean, but for some reason they built it in Salim, Salim, and a few people gathered around her and were devoted to her. She left the body there. There is a mountain very close to this place with a hill station. I was saying at this hill station when somebody told me about the saint, they told me Mayamma place his hair and they showed me her picture. The moment I saw the picture, I said, I want to go there and draw down. I, it happened to be a full moon day and there was a small samadhi, a small grave that had been built for her. The place is reverberating like crazy. This is a fantastic place. The people there said, Today is Purnima, the full moon day. Stay back. We are having some prasad. They were serving everyone dinner. The best thing was that there was this one little man who was devoted to Mayamma. Mayamma lived out, outdoor her whole life, so her face was all weather beaten. She was like a Nepali soda. Features were mildly mongol, mongoloid. Mongoloid. This this man was a southern man, Indian man. He had been so devoted to her. When he came in front of me, I saw his face had become exactly like hers. This is a devotee of the highest order. It was an, so amazing seeing him. Devotion is just is that kind of thing. If you dismantle the structure of who you are and get completely absorbed into something if that something is powerful enough it will just imprint upon you that is the idea of devotion you are not acting it out you can become that it is not about being devoted to somebody or something it is just that it is the highest level of perception you can imprint yourself with that with what kind of what you are seeking because you open yourself up completely From a horror to a flower, anger, resentment, hatred, these are all poisons that you drink and expect somebody else to die. Life doesn't work like that. In some situations, we lose our temper, but it is only later that we realize our stupidity. By then, it is too late. How can we control our anger? Sadhguru, there is no need to control anger. Right now, are you angry? No, so why should you control something that does not exist? How can you control something that does not exist? Anger is a certain level of unpleasantness both for you and everyone around you. Most of the time you suffer more than victim. And when you get angry, you could do the most idiotic things of your life. It is definitely not an intelligent way to exist. Being angry about something or the other comes from a strong sense of like and dislike. This comes from a very deep identification with a certain way of thinking and feeling which according to you is the best way to live, think and feel. When someone is not in line with that, you get angry with them. As your likes and dislikes and your identification become stronger with something or the other, all that you are doing is excluding the existence. If you say, I like this very much, you are excluding the rest of the existence in such a big way at that moment. The stronger the like or dislike becomes, the deeper the exclusion becomes. Anger overflows because you have not included someone or something as part of yourself. The very process of liberation is to include, not exclude. 
in inclusion you become liberated the day when everything the whole existence is included in you you are liberated in exclusion you become trapped you become separate you do not wish to be angry of course but it is happening because you are ascribing an outside source for what is happening within you and that is not true just to see that anger is something that you are creating why are you creating something that you do not want there is only one basic cause you are ignorant of yourself if you knew how your system functions and how to manage the system why would you create anger anger is not only damaging the external situation it is also damaging the internal situation people are causing enormous amount of anger within and creating health problems for themselves accordingly consequences will happen for external situations for every action that you perform there is a consequence you cannot avoid the consequence when you cannot avoid the consequence actions should be controlled they can be controlled only if a human being is controlled within themselves when one is in perfect balance only then one will perform harmonious action still there are always consequences there are enough consequences in the life process as it is you do not have to go about creating new consequences for yourself especially if situations around you are rotten is it not very important that you keep yourself in the most pleasant manner possible and see how to spread this pleasantness around you if your actions were coming from your intelligence this is how you would act if situation around you are hopeless it is all the more important that you keep yourself as beautiful as possible and see how to make the situation happen the way you want whatever you are that is what you will spread among, uh, around you if you are angry you will spread anger with anger more and pleasantness will come into the situation around you anger is enormous intensity intensity is the only thing that man is seeking the reason why all the thrillers action movies and sport events are so popular is because people want some intensity somewhere the only way they know how to be intense is either through physical action or through anger or through pain the very reason why drug and sex have become such big things in the world because somehow people want to experience some intensity at least for a few moments intensity releases you from many things anger could also release you from many things but the problem with anger is it is not pure intensity within you it gets entangled with the situation around it is not necessary that only your anger should prop- propel you into action the most intense experience you have had in your life is probably anger that is the reason why you are san- sanctifying anger because it propels you into action unfortunately you have never known the intensity of joy or love but love and compassion can also propel you into action very gently very wonderfully and effectively at work and at home would you like to live with angry people or peaceful or joyful people obviously you would want to live with peaceful and joyful people please remember everyone around you is expecting the same thing every human being around you is always expecting to live and work with people who are peaceful and joyful if you use the horror of who you are as many are the beauty of who you could be could flower questioner how do i free myself from the jealousy that arises within me sadguru as long as you feel you are insufficient the way you are the moment you see someone whom you think has more than you you feel jealous instead of trying a bet trying to battle jealousy it is better to work towards your fulfillment when you are very joyful are you jealous no only when you are unhappy you are jealous do not worry about jealousy if every moment of your life your enemies are bubbling with ecstasy how will there be jealousy 
such things do not exist do not try to work with that which does not exist you will get lost what exists right now is your happiness and unhappiness the rest is all an offshoot of that the root of your jealousy envy and all these problem is that you are unhappy freedom will not happen by giving up anything because what is there to give up right now there is no jealousy in you jealousy is not part of your nature now and then you create it if you had created it because you wanted it then it is okay it is your joy if you are happy in anger fear and jealousy create them but that is not so they are not happy experience for you so why have you created them you create them because you do not have the necessary awareness within yourself if you give up something forcibly it will return to you in some some other way so many distortions of human personality have been happened in society today because we are trying to do something which of uh, ourselves with we, we are trying to do something with ourselves force forcibly without understanding our nature if you really want to be free what should you do first and foremost you should understand where your bondage is what you are identif- what you are identified with the moment you are identified you are in confrontation with existence the whole spiritual process is to disidentify you so that you are no longer in conflict with existence you are just experiencing everything the way it is not trying to label it this way or that way or trying to make a divine or devil out of it if you use the horror of who you are as many or the beauty of who you could be could flower what is this horror and what does it mean when you find a person horribly prejudiced and jealous angry hateful and fearful that is the horror of what a human being can be existentially in the physical world around you isn't it true that anything that produces the best flower and fruit is always the most horrible thing these days people talk a lot about organic vegetables what it what it means is that you are like vegetables nourished by shit not by fertilizer coming from a bag somewhere you understand that this is what produces the best kind of flower fruit and vegetable is it is the best manure this is the logic of life that uh, this is something you need to understand as symbolism and psychological tool and also spirituality spiritually the simple logic of your mind says that if you want to produce good flower in the garden put a lot of flowers into the soil and more beautiful flowers will come out of it that is not how existence works it is logical but existence is not logical the soil demands stinking waste not fragrant flowers stinking filth is not just okay that is what the soil demands if you put it to the root wonderfully fragrant flowers will come out of it this is the way the existence is working all these horrors which make you into a horror your anger hatred jealousy prejudices please see with how much intensity they happen within you if only meditation happened with that much intensity wouldn't it be wonderful wouldn't it wouldn't you be going places definitely you would all the things which make a human being into a horror travel on the basic vehicle of intensity if your anger fear or jealousy were weak it would not mean anything when they burn within you that is when they are something and they are always and they always burn within you with great intensity so one element of spirituality is there with you the only question is to how to learn how to make use of it if you use the filth and apply it to the root it is good if you smear it on your face it is not good if you do not have this awareness you will try to apply fragrance to the root and make kill the plant you need to apply filth not fragrance that is how the whole world works and that is how you should also work 
do not try to work on the byproducts you feel you are not sufficient simply because you are not well within yourself anybody who is not feeling blissful is actually ill maybe you are in a state of socially accepted well-being because the majority of people with you are with you and this is our democracy but you are ill in terms of life and happiness has come to you because you are not in tune with your own nature no attempt has been made to look at yourself carefully and understand what that the seed of your experience is within you if the seed of your experience is within you and you have to decide and manage how well you live here the the first thing is to turn inward and look at the nature of who you are if that does not happen your well-being is existential accidental when your well-being is accidental jealousy hatred and insecurity are a natural part of your life it is like we are burning something and there is smoke do not battle with the smoke you have to battle with the fire if you sit here as just a piece of life you will be in perfect harmony with every other life questioner sadguru the feeling of hatred and greed are very strong and dominant in us why is it that we have become like this sadguru once we hold somebody else as the source of who we are or what we are doing right now invariably people around you will fail you in so many different ways no human being is going to function 100% the way you want them to be the bigger your expectation the more failure you will see with people around you when they fail you and things do not happen the way you think they should happen you truly believe they are the cause of your misery so naturally anger arises when this anger gets organized it becomes hatred the very moment you think that the source of who you are or the basis of your experience in this life is somebody else you have this started the game maybe initially it is started in a pleasant way oh i am so happy because of you this game is going to turn sour sour in no time because the same person who did certain things and made you happy today is going to do certain things tomorrow that he or she wants which is going to make you very unhappy no human being can live you up can live up to your expectation no one not one human being on the planet will be exactly the way you expect him or her to be once this happens you think someone else is the source of your misery and naturally anger and hatred will follow if you sit here as just a piece of life you will be in perfect harmony with every other life that is the reality it is not my idea or your idea it is the way existence is but you cooked up a separation i hate these people because they are not doing things my way my ideals are the greatest ideals and these people do not have such ideals They're, these are fallen people so i can hate them you are cooking up an ideal you are trying to cover one lie with another lie it is not a solution it is only complicating the problem at least if you see i just hate these people and if you live in hatred for 3 days slowly you will wonder why am i like this because that is your humanity but if you back it up with your ideals and ethics you can continue to hate them for the rest of your life greed is a very relative term once person one person thinks living in a palace is necessity another person thinks it is greed this happened some time ago i meet a swami who lived under a tree he had had he had made it his life's mission to constantly deride all those other swamis who had built some simple shelter for themselves he spent his lifetime saying how these people were lost how these people were corrupted and how they had given themselves to comfort and luxury because he himself lived under a tree braving all the rigors of the weather he would say they are pompous look at the way they have decorated their huts they just wanted to make the hut a little beautiful so somebody put a flower garden 
a couple of flower plant in front of their house somebody has painted it in a bitter in little bit but he thought all that was pompous i had to remind him that thinking that you are better than everybody else is the most pompous stupid thing you can do so what greed is is very relative you are never greedy but somebody else who has gotten to a place where you are aspiring to get is greedy in your eyes you are trying to make a million bucks you have not made it but you think the man who has made it is greedy if you make it 1 billion bucks is not greedy 10 million is greedy because somebody else has gone there this need is accumulate is so strong because there is a certain sense of insufficiency who you are is not enough you want to be something more than what you are right now the moment you reach there you want to be something more than that i want you to know this if even if we hand over the whole planet to you you will still look up at the stars because there is something within you which is constantly seeking expansion however much you have however much you give it it is not going to settle give it the whole galaxy it will still look for more galaxies there is something within you which is seeking boundless expansion so greed as you know it in the world today has happened because your inner nature wants to find boundless expansion but you are trying to satisfy this thirst for boundlessness through physical means this is the basis of your greed there is nothing wrong with your greed it is actually a spiritual process meditation is just this a powerful desire without goal if your desire and energy becomes full force but not towards anything in particular this is meditation questioner i would like to know how to handle guilt and another aspect of my life that i have struggled i have has struggled with is how to live in the moment with joy i have made an effort to avoid living in the past or the future but even the present is not easy or peaceful it is overshadowed by action of the past and i have not been very successful in not fearing what the future holds sadguru fear is a natural emotion in a human being but guilt is socially cultivated people feel guilty about different kind of things in different societies what a pe- what a person from india may feel guilty about an america will do- an american will do not uh, what a person from india may feel guilty about an american will do without any sense of guilt for something that an indian does without any sense of guilt an america american may suffer guilt so guilt is a socially cultivated emotion it is not a natural thing we are going through all this simply because we have labeled something as good and something bad anyway you are only guilty of what you did yesterday not what you are right now nothing happen out of guilt ex- except a damage to ourselves it is focused towards you the worst guilt that you may suffer that you must suffer from is that you are not living joyfully causing suffering to yourself is the worst guilt because if i try to cause suffering to you you have some defense against it but if you start causing suffering to yourself this being is a totally helpless being so the worst guilt that you suffer from is you are torturing an absolutely defendless the being which is yourself how can you live joyfully you don't have to do anything if you stop messing around with your mind and stupid ideas about life then it is natural for life to be joyful so forget all this all this nonsense about living in the moment because anyway where else you can live you live you only live in the moment one thing that is bring one thing that is being thrown around all over the place is be in the moment this looks like a great teaching but my, my question is can anybody be anywhere else other than this moment whatever you do anyway you are in this moment 
बट पीपल से नो वी आर नॉट इन दिस मूवमेंट वी आर थिंकिंग अबाउट दिस इन दैट सो वॉट इज दॉट दिस टीचिंग इज एसेंशली सेंग इज यू शुड नॉट थिंक इट टुक मिलियंस ऑफ इयर्स टू डेवलप दिस ब्रेन एंड नाउ द टीचिंग इज डू नॉट थिंक whether you are thinking about yesterday or a million years later you are still in this movement this teaching looks like a great teaching because move for most people their thoughts is an unpleasant experience if your thought is a wonderful experience for you you would not take this teaching from anybody this has become a malaise malaise particularly in the west and it has caught on the caught on in the indian cities because the indian urban population is more western than the west they are a little more american than american this happened two young women meet in a restaurant one said to the other i intend to not marry until i am 30 the other said i intend to not be 30 as i am already married if something is said you can call it a teaching only if there is a possibility that someone could get there if no one can get there that is called rubbish the moment you say something is wrong you cannot avoid it the moment you try to avoid it that will fill your mind questioner if we become egoless and humble can we be free from suffering sadguru everybody is claiming to be egoless and humble claiming to be humble is the worst sort of ego one who claims to be egoless is a horror of an ego at least a straightforward ego is good what is an ego any number of people are claiming to be egoless and victims of other people's ego if there is no ego there is no survival process in a human being so the question of somebody being egoist and somebody not being egoist does not arise nobody can escape this once you are identified with your physical body the ego is there is it good or bad it is neither good nor bad once you realize that you can create your ego the way the external situation demands to operate in different kind of situation you need different kind of egos but the problem is that you have lost the distinction between what is you and what is your ego when there is no distinction you start functioning in foolish ways which cause pain and suffering to yourself and whenever you are capable of causing pain and suffering to yourself invariably you will share, you will also share it it cannot be helped people think it does not matter that i suffer but i want everybody to be happy such things do not work if you do not know how what it means to be joyful you cannot make anybody joyful these miserable people who claim to be egoless think they are living for everybody else but nobody wants them to live because good intentions alone do not make anything good it is the way you are which makes the difference in the world you don't need any good intention if you keep your humanity up alive and active why do you need good intentions if you put your humanity to sleep then you need good intentions morals and ethics if your humanity is alive everything will happen the way it needs to happen from within you the moment you say spirituality the first thing that the so called spiritual people tell you is that you must give up the common ego and pick up your spiritual ego which is very dangerous whenever your ego is supported by a scripture or a god it is the most it is the most horrible kind of ego those people who claim to be doing god's work always did the maximum amount of damage on this planet human nature is such that if you do something stupid today tonight your intelligence will bother you everybody thinks they need to do god's work if god is almighty do you have to do his work no 
you ju you just mind your business but too many people are doing god's work on this planet and that is the biggest ego but it gets so well polished and smooth that nobody can catch it it is so slippery people who people have always been trying to divide the material and the spiritual as to different parts this division has caused so much confusion and allergy towards spirituality because today in most people's mind if you live badly dress badly and eat badly then you must be spiritual that has been the idea for a long time that is why nobody wants to go spiritual the physical by itself has no purpose of its own your body is very important you have to feed it clothe it decorate it and pamper it in so many ways suppose tomorrow morning that something which is within which you never experience slips away nobody would want to deal with this body the physicality is like the peel of the fruit the moment you eat the fruit the peel goes straight to the trash can the peel is valuable only because it contains the fruit only the fruit is gone once the fruit is gone the peel does not mean anything if you were just eating the peel of the fruit how would life be it should have been bitter if life was continuously bitter all of you would be enlightened by now the problem is that peel has imbibed a few spots of sweetness because of his association with the fruit what you call as life is just trying to extract juice out of those few spots of sweetness without understanding that this sweetness has entered the peel only because of its association with the fruit not otherwise if you put a drop of honey here on the floor and keep the honey jar out there even a little ant which has 1 millionth of your brain has enough intelligence to know that it must go for the jar naturally trusted your nature trusted your intelligence and thought that if it puts a drop of sweetness into your physicality you would naturally go for that which is beyond the physical because you would understand that it that is where it comes from yet today people are trying to disprove nature's trust simply because they have become identified with the simple egos that they have taken on you are proud of the kind of nose you have or the kind of qualifications you have or the kind of home you have you live in they have become the basics of your life and because of this the simple awareness that whatever little sweetness you taste in the peel could be multiplied a million fold if you go for the fruit is not happening to humanity the reason you identify yourself with your clothes homes or something else is because nothing else what the while has been found within yourself you have to cling to do something you have to cling to something to make yourself into something of worth otherwise there is no purpose to live on it is just that people are constantly looking outward they have never turned inward and looked at the nature of what it what this is they have to hang on to many things to make themselves complete but such a thing has not happened has it right now you have identified yourself but essentially you are just a piece of life who is on for a limited amount of time isn't it so and this piece of life is complete it does not need any addition to make it good it, this is just fine by itself you are you are wanting to possess something is essentially coming from a certain sense of unfulfilled experience of life questioner how is it possible to live without getting possessive and attached sadguru why do you want to possess something or somebody it is your way of including something as a part of yourself yoga means to become all inclusive your possessiveness is also yoga but it is a very stupid and painful yoga and it will always remain incomplete and frustrating because you are never going to possess everything 
there will always be much that remains out of your possession it will never reach its goal so you have to learn to include everything as a part of yourself without the need to possess to enjoy something does somebody has have to write on a paper that it belongs to you and it is only yours that is what you are asking in life to enjoy anything it must be yours even to enjoy a child he has to be yours somebody has to check your dna and say it has come from your body not from somebody else's body you cannot enjoy anything the way it is the only thing pleasure the only little pleasure that you have in your life is that something belongs to you and if even what belongs to you belongs to everybody you cannot enjoy it this is a pervasion this is a pervasion and a disease you can enjoy it only when it belongs to you and only you or your enjoyment is that nobody has with nobody has what you have that is definitely sickness unfortunately 95 of the, 95% of the population psychologically if ill if they wear some clothes nobody else should be wearing those clothes only then can they enjoy it if everybody is wearing it they cannot enjoy it if they build a house nobody else should have that kind of house only then they can enjoy it anything and everything is like this this is not joy this is illness now if i tell you do not possess you are not going to stop anyway because this is a very deep rooted problem this is not going to go away because of somebody's advice you may shift your object of possession from this to that but the longing or the need to possess is not gone all you are trying to do is somehow find fulfillment because you are unable to bear the incompleteness of who you are try hard it will not get you anywhere if you realize it is not going it is not going to get you anywhere you must be sensible enough to shift try something if it works go on that path if it does not work leave that and try something else you will see none of these things will work all of them will create a sense that they may work but they will deceive you later don't try in a lukewarm way try absolutely if you try absolutely within 24 hours you will know if you try off and on in lukewarm ways it will take a lifetime to know whatever your problem is go all the way into it within 24 hours you will see that this is not this is no good that it will n- never work it will be 100% clear to you once it is clear to you you will definitely shift your intelligence will flower the only thing that the only thing that can be trusted trusted is intelligence because life is intelligence a tree blossoms it is certain intelligence the very earth that you walk upon is intelligent the air that you breathe is intelligent one way of looking at life is it is just an explosion explosion of intelligence what you call as creation and what you refer to as a creator is the ultimate intelligence that is the only thing you can trust right now and that will function only if you go all the way it will only happen when you you as a piece of life are alive to the core only when you have touched that you will find everything is fine now you can play like uh, play life like a football game you are on with it is on, when it is on and when you want to switch it off it is off then nothing is a problem you become free not by excluding yourself you become free only by including everything as a part of yourself questioner sadguru how do i not get attached to somebody or something when they have become everything to me sadguru if you have become so attached why are you still there 
go a little more strongly into your attachment till nothing of your remains if you try to detach yourself you will only damage yourself because the very fact that you are attached right now means that attachment is your way if you try to go against it it will only hurt yourself if attachment is your way get totally attached if you take two substances and attach them together if the attachment is total or complete you cannot differentiate one from the other only if the attachment is not total you can see the two parts separately once you cannot tell the difference there is no problem this question arises because somebody somewhere told you that attachment is bad don't get attached to anything this question arises because of a misunderstanding it could also be arising because of the pain that attachment creates but if the attachment is total the pain will always go go away and if you don't have these old teachings within you there is really no problem get so totally attached that you cannot make out the difference when you cannot tell the difference there will be absolutely no problem about it if you get attached to your beings what you what you call as myself will not exist Ex attachment is a problem only when you get attached to your own body your ideas emotions philosophies your rights and wrongs your likes and dislikes if you can truly get attached to another being it is wonderful but when you get attached to your own body thoughts and emotions you become so limited when you get attached to your own likes and dislikes you become even more limited so get attached why are you hesitating if you are getting attached to your idea of what the person other person is then it is a trouble the pain of attachment is only because you are getting attached to your idea of what the other person is not really to another being if you can enjoy your energies and the other person with another persons it is just fantastic and there is no problem that is what attachment means deepen your attachment so absolutely become so attached that time and space cannot be separate you cannot separate you right now you hesitate to be attached because of these teaching that attachment is bad so time and space is a problem if you are going to just sit with the anybody as a limited person with your likes and dislike you will hesitate to be attached your personality is only a bundle of like and dislike craving and aversion within you this is the fundamental basis or building block of your personality yet existing in the world with like and dislike is a very foolish way to exist please look at it carefully the fundamental basis of your bondage is in likes and dislikes unfortunately the logical mind makes you believe that doing what you like is your freedom while operating on the physical realm itself even with your work or family likes and dislike make you do stupid things if you don't like somebody even if the person is doing something wonderful you will not see it if you like somebody even if they are doing terrible things you cannot see it anymore the moment you get trapped in like and dislike you lose your discretion and your intelligence is forsaken you cannot function as per what is needed at that moment awareness is simply impossible once you get trapped in like and dislike yoga means attachment when you get attached to the existent you are yoga people have misunderstood non attachment so badly you become free not by excluding yourself you become free only by including everything as a part of yourself freedom will only come because you make yourself exclusive if you detach yourself from everything you will become exclusive in the existence you become more and more of an entity if you include everything as a part of yourself you will have no identity left so become attached totally don't be sting in your attachment